You may have noticed that we haven't heard from Don for a few months. He had a couple of operations that required some getting over, but it wasn't going to slow him down. In September, he went through the Northwest Passage, a trip that he'd attempted two times previously, but had been scuppered due to weather or vessel troubles. We wanted to let him off the hook. We love having him on the show and he's dedicated so much to it, but it was a big commitment. But we weren't going to let the legendary Don Walsh sneak off without some fanfare, not after everything he'd done for us. So we were putting together a Christmas episode where we could share some drinks and stories with Don and give him a proper send off. While we were sorting out the dates that everyone could do for this, Don passed, uh, 92 years old, nodding off in his favorite chair at the remote home surrounded by nature that he loved. Uh, I was chatting with him about the passage and he clearly enjoyed it. So I just wanted to read you a little bit from his last email to me. Yes, it was great to check that one off my bucket list. 30 day cruise went well. Our French expedition ship was a full fledged icebreaker. The only non-government one in the world. The passage was ice free. So to show the guests some ice breaking, we had to head north until we were 900 miles from the North Pole. There we got some 1010 ice, which I'm assuming is a, is a term for lots of ice and had three days of satisfying crunching through the stuff. Saw nine polar bears, including three with sows and cubs. Zodiac rides were offered to a couple of nearby ice floats where punters could, in quotes, go ashore for walks. As you can imagine, the food on board of Friendship was superb, never lacking for croissants. Three language groups on board, French, English, and Chinese. Simultaneous translations made my four lectures much easier. Well, after 50 years working on the cruise ship lecturer circuit, this was our last trip. We were ready, and it was nice to be finished with engines in such luxury. And yes, I'd love to have a farewell chat round the year's end. I've been looking at the discovery program on the Five Deeps, and there you are on the Puerto Rico Trench Expedition. You and Alan make quite the dynamic duo. Hope your continuing voyage of adjustment for Kiwiland is going well. Best wishes, Don. Legend. That's just a few days before he passed. Yeah, no, it's very sad. And I think we, we've been very lucky to have him over the last three years on the podcast. And I'm sort of kicking myself we didn't get, didn't get to do that final episode with him. But uh, yeah, so we thought we'd put together a... A short episode just to share a few Don stories and uh, our guest today is uh, Rob McCallum who knew Don for a very long time and it was Rob that introduced me to him probably near on five years ago now, four or five years ago uh, and they've been good buds for, for a long time. So so yeah, so we'll just share some Don stories. And so our guest today who is someone who knew Don very, very well for, for decades in fact is our expedition leader and good friend Rob McCallum from ALS Expeditions. And so Rob, tell us a little bit about your history with Don. Yeah, I know Don for, as you say, decades. And I and I know him, uh, knew him very, very well. Um, it started off with a, a circumnavigation of the Antarctic continent, which was a 65-day voyage. And you can't help but spend 65 days with someone on a ship and not get to know them uh, through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And with Don, it was almost all good. He is just such a tremendous uh, human being, so highly accomplished and yet so willing to share his knowledge and ex his experience with, with everybody. And so over the last 20 years, we've talked on the phone at least twice a week. And uh, he's oh. been a, a steady guiding force right through through my professional career. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. I think the thing that struck me when I first met him was we ran around Guam together. 
<laughs> for doing those radio shows, remember? And uh, I remember someone saying that Don Walsh was coming and over my career, I've met a few astronauts and folk like that and they've always got that swagger and they've got, you know, a bit of an ego and you know they're in the room kind of thing. And I thought, I just figured he'd be another guy like that. But, until, but as soon as he walked in the door, he was just like, hey, <laughs> he was just... <laughs> It's just such a laid back guy and you would never, you know, it's just not what you'd expect uh, of a guy with that kind of career. And his achievements have been in place for so long. Like there was plenty of time for an ego to take hold. Yeah. To have so much feedback loop from all the interviews and all the sort of the hero worship that it, it would have corrupted anyone, but he just, he just shrugged it off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, even even up until recently, I've been learning new things about them because they they sort of get a slow release, so you never get sick of hearing the next new story. But just a wicked sense of humour, uh, yeah. and able to to have a humorous situation in any given room, uh, but you only got to share it if you were uh, an insider to that particular joke. So he could make uh, dull activities kind of fun. So he's famous for his one-liners, right? There's got to be a whole back catalogue of one-liners in your head. Give us some of the best dons. You know, they, they are uh, funny because they all hark back to to a particular time in his life. So uh, one that I like uh, that comes from Texas is uh, is We're Farting Through Silk, um, which apparently <laughs> is how you know things are going really well on the ranch is when you're wearing silk underwear because uh, only fancy people wore silk underwear. And, and so... You know, often we'd be on a job together and uh, something was going incredibly well. And his only acknowledgement to it was to say, yep, we're farting through silk. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the one liners that he had and the sayings that he had all hark back to something. Uh, mm. Just recently we had a job which he he described it as having a high tail to tooth ratio, which meant that there were a lot of people in the in the in the mix, a lot of resources having to be expended for not a lot of bite. But he just dropped that one liner in there and you'd know immediately what he meant and uh, where he was going with it. I remember him he, telling me that the university management system is like uh, an asylum being run by the inmates. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, he, he had a very, very dry sense of humour and uh, he was an excellent, excellent mimic. And I suspect that that came from his love of language. I mean, his sort of epitaph is, if you like, is is uh, exploration, is curiosity that's acted upon. And he was always curious about people and where they'd come from. And uh, he used language as a way of connecting with people all around the world. And some of the language came through formal means. He learned some basic Russian uh, from his time in the submarine corps, but he picked up a lot of languages uh, through his through his traveling. It was actually language that uh, I, I had my first laugh with Don. We were on this Russian icebreaker. We were going to be at sea a very long time. And every day the, the stewardesses would serve lunch at the table and, and they didn't speak any English at all. And I, I said to Don, you know, the ladies are so charming and so, so kind. I would like to be able to say thank you for a nice meal. I understand you speak some Russian. And he said, yeah, I, I do. I'll bush him popka. So like, right, okay, I practice this. And every time the the the, the girls brought out uh, lunch or dinner, I would say, oh, boy, shimoy, popka. And nothing else was said, but I, they'd smile at themselves. And it made me think that, you know, they're appreciating the kind words. <laughs> Weeks later, I'm in the captain's cabin because he's hosting a group of clients on board and the same girls are serving dinner. The captains are Russian. So when they served the, the meal, I said, the captain, Peter Golikov, just cracked up laughing and he just pointed at me and he said, Walsh. 
Walsh taught you Russian. Polka means, oh my God, what a great butt. <laughs> so I'd been I'd been saying this for weeks and no one had said anything, but Walsh was sitting there smiling to himself each and every day. Yeah, when we're on the on the challenge of deep job, I had a, a PhD student at the time with Johanna and uh he kept referring to Johanna as the microbiologist, and it took us a best part of a week to figure out what he was talking about. Because, like, I was like, she's not a microbiologist. What's he on about? It's basically because she was really short. <laughs> she's a biologist <laughs> who was really small. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I think he inherited his sense of humor from his mother, Martha. Uh, Martha lived to be 103. And I remember when uh, when she was 101, she had to go into the local town office to get her license revalidated because you had to get your driver's license done annually at that age. And the young thing behind the uh, the counter said to her, well, I, 101, I guess I won't be seeing you back here again. And Martha just smiled and said, I don't know, dear, you look pretty healthy to me. <laughs> and I, I said to Martha, I said, you know, that was a shocking thing for her to say, but, you know, they can't have many people at your age coming in for a driver's license. I mean, you know, how do you feel? I mean, you've seen the development of the motor car in your lifetime. She said, I don't feel any different than I have for years. She said, I feel great. I don't buy green bananas anymore. <laughs> that is Don's sense of humour. <laughs> that is Don's sense yeah. of humour. <laughs> when you were mentioning about his curiosity, one of the little threads that, that we had over email was... um. I was saying that I think no one is boring. And if somebody seems to be boring, you're not asking the right questions. And he was, he went on a big riff about that. He was like, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. You've just got to, you've got to find the pearls. You've got to, you've got to find the right topic. And there's something in everyone that's fascinating or that's an experience that no one else has had. Absolutely. I, I know that in, uh, you know, he, in his sort of retirement phase, he uh, would go on um, high-end cruise ships or expedition ships to these far-fung places. And as the luminary guest, he would always be hosting a table at dinner. And he'd say that, you know, I get to the stage where no matter how many jars of red wine I had, uh, it was becoming an organ recital. And the organ recital was where everybody older than him would talk about various operations or procedures that had done to themselves. And when the organ recitals got too much, then he'd start probing people about where they'd come from or the languages they'd spoke or how they'd ended up where they were. And he always thought that there, there was something in everyone. And, you know, another Don Walshism is, you know, we're all God's creatures. Sometimes we're not sure what God was thinking, <laughs> but we're all God's He <laughs> <laughs> was really generous with his time, at least with us, considering this, this half thrown together outfit that me and Alan started. He was massively generous with his time yeah i don't know if you know rob how, how, how it all started off is because because after the the five deeps we started we started this podcast and thought don would be a great guest for episode two and uh <laughs> normally when we do an interview with someone it takes probably an hour and you cut it down to maybe 30 minutes or 40 minutes or something like that don spoke for hours and hours <laughs> and hours and hours at the end of the call we're like we we need to get him on here as the third presenter here. We were shell shocked. Yeah, it just I remember it was during COVID, wasn't it? It was during lockdown. Yeah. I was sat in a house in England. It's just going by. This is brilliant. It just it just kept going and kept going and kept going. He just never stopped. And we're like, we've got to get this guy in here permanently. This is just too. It's so funny. I think it's on the recording. Like my my re initial response was like, the dive is the most boring thing he's done. Yeah, the thing he's famous for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's a waste that no one's heard. Because that, that's how we got talking about his memoirs and how we wanted him on. It's like, it's the tip of an iceberg, like the amount of other stuff yeah. he's done. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote that recently in a little bit piece that in, in the end, 
Trieste was just the beginning. For anyone else, Trieste and the dive to Challenger Deep would have been the the pinnacle of a career. But really, for Don, it was just the the formal start, if you like. He had these three careers, uh, you know, one in, in the military, the Navy with with subs, and then into oceanography as a as an academic and a policy wonk, and then into ocean science and slash conservation and the technical side of things. And so those three things combined connected him in one way or another to almost everybody in the wider ocean community. And I, the thing I, I, I've learned from Dom that I, I love about Dom is that he didn't really care whether you were a prince or a pauper. He would devote his time to anyone he thought he could generate a spark in. Anybody that he thought he could further their sense of curiosity in the world around them, that was just, you know, license to to go hunting. And I've I've seen him put princes aside so he could spend more time with the paupers. One of my duties uh, at Explorers Club dinners was to, you know, fetch and carry jars of red wine to Don, um, who would have to stand there with long lines of people wanting to to shake his hand and say hello and get a picture taken for him and uh, by him with him. And even though he was in his 80s and had been standing in one place for hours, he never once showed any sense of uh, frustration or any sense of uh, boredom or, or, you know, any sense of stress. And the last time I did it, he was actually so physically tired by it that on our way to the table, he keeled over. And, uh, you know, there was one of us on either side of him. We managed to get him to his chair. But even though as an older man, as someone who was really right at the edge of his sort of capacity to endure, he he never once showed showed anything. He was a, a true, true gentleman. Wow, what a guy. I mean, I think, uh, again, his epitaph, which, which, you know, he wrote many, many years ago, is is to stay curious. You know, curiosity mm. was what empowered him and what motivated him. He was a great believer that if you see an opportunity, take it, worry about the details later, and every opportunity leads to something else. If nothing else, in terms of more opportunities, it will broaden your circle of friends and contacts and uh, enable you to have more discussions. So. There's a lesson for all of us in there. Yeah, I liked, I liked the one when, when he was uh, on Challenger Deep when Victor was giving his speech about how we'd just done Challenger Deep four times in a row or something like that. And he was basically looking at Don and saying, I'm sorry, Don, you're no longer the deepest man on the planet, you know. And then Don just looked at him and went, I've been dining out on that for 60 years. I'm not going to cry myself to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's I've reaped right. the benefits of this for a long time. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he, you know, he was a, an American superhero, like in terms of yeah. coming from that that era of the 60s. And uh, he never, ever let it uh, go to his head. He only used it to provide the fuel that he needed to get to get further, you know, to to push science, yeah. to push conservation, to push wise management of the oceans. So kudos to him. I'm amazed that 60 years of that hero worship didn't corrupt him, but he was so, he wasn't quick to brag. It was, it was brilliant. It was sort of people who'd be t- telling stories and obviously, you know, through explorers and things like that, you know, everyone wants to share their achievements. And then he would just quietly like, oh, well, we, we did that. And then the ship ran aground and then da, 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 da. And it, his story would be so elaborate, but it was, it was, it was only when invited. And that's what we found on the show is like, we'd, we'd have to probe I think the, my favorite one was when I was editing one of his stories and my mum my became a massive fan of Don. Uh, so I was editing one of his stories 
while she was just listening in the background and we were talking about mining and then he mentioned like having part of a diamond mine subsea operation or something like that and my mum just pipes in with like of course he did of course he did because every time we'd pick a topic we'd think I'd like Don's opinion on this and then it turned out Don was on the front line we talked about remote sensing with NASA and he said oh well, well when I was trying to get involved in the Apollo program and it was like it, it was never it was never here's my opinion on it it's like well when I was doing it and that's why we wanted to put him front and centre in the, in the show because the dive was only the beginning like he'd done everything he didn't dine out on that for for 60 years he he cracked on yeah didn't he tell a story that he was once like drinking beer down the river one day with arthur c clark oh uh, yeah and dive buddies with um who's the fellow who wrote of mice and men steinbeck steinbeck yeah loads of people turned up that's bizarre what a guy when you think about his beginning you know it is an incredible story you know born to a very modest start in life in California, basically raised by a by a single mother. I mean, life could have taken a very different turn. Mm. But, you know, he used that first step into the into the military to, you know, take every opportunity that came along. And then, of course, came the dive. And then after that, he used every opportunity he could, not so much to push himself, but to make best use of, of the opportunity. You know, I'm a great ad- admirer of that modesty. I remember being with him and uh, Jim Cameron, and, and Jim was saying, Jim is just in the process of doing uh, the deep challenge dive to challenge a deep. And he said to Don, you know, I've decided that I could make a, a feature of, of your life. And uh, if I do that, who would you like to play you? And anyone else would have kind of melted on the spot and sort of gone all gushy because the world's greatest film director is saying he's going to make a story about your life. And Don just looked at him and said, Julia Roberts. (laughs) 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 Which was so uh, offhand, but at the same time, very, very funny and just made it clear that you know, Jim, I've got other things to worry about. I don't worry about this sort of stuff. So he's very, uh, very level-headed, as you say, Tom, very level-headed all the way through his life and uh, didn't take, didn't didn't let any visits to the White House or mixing with royalty or uh, sort of giving advice to the captains of industry get to his head and, and benefit himself personally in any way. He had a very modest start, very modest upbringing, and he lived his life very modestly. Yeah, so thanks, Rob, for taking the time to share a few stories about about Don. He's well, as I say, he's a wonderful guy, and so I have to thank you for introducing me to him because we would never, I would never have known him if it wasn't for you. So easy man to introduce. There wasn't anyone I introduced him to that didn't immediately fall under his spell. Just such <laughs> a level-headed, kind human being who'd had a wonderful life and wasn't afraid to generously share it. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, guys. We appreciate that. Not at all. I love the Russian story. That's really good. Yeah, it's maybe maybe a sense of humour that doesn't age quite so well. But I think uh, I think he should be forgiven as being a previous generation. There's a few stories he's, he's done that which have actually been like asking on a, a radio station in Guam. It was me, him, and Rob were sitting there, and it was drive time. And the guy says, "This is for families and stuff." And his opening question was, "This is the first time you've been in Guam since 1960. Has it changed much?" And he says, "Well, it looks the same, but I've heard it's got hooters." <laughs> <laughs> like we're sitting there going, "Don, don't talk about hooters on the." radio right and, uh, and so stuff like that and then he said something really cheesy to a, a journalist who came on the ship once and she kind of looked at him and was like really and he was like I'm, I'm 87 years old I don't care anymore <laughs> the, there was the one story that we hesitated on oh the one where he was getting <laughs> felt up under the table <laughs> no. 
but it's it's dawn so we kind of we kind of had to put it out but yeah there was there was one where just like this has nothing to do with the deep sea yeah that's brilliant as we alluded to when we were chatting with rob this wasn't part of the plan for one we didn't think we'd have so much of don's time but it was only when we interviewed him well and you being on offshore with him alan that we realized that it was just the tip of an iceberg like that that dive was the start of just an extraordinary life where he got so much so many adventures and his way of telling them was so endearing that one we i remember that it's in the recording like at the end of that that first interview we're just <laughs> we're dumbstruck by how uh, how much more there was to his life and i couldn't believe that he'd be willing to to give the time to be a regular on the show so here's a clip from that very first conversation when we realized after two hours of chatting on the phone and me and alan just sat there with our jaws open with all the don stories here's us trying to figure out how we're going to do this if, if we have him as the third host uh, rather i would uh, i would see what the theme is I would suggest uh, experiences I might ha- have had that really might uh, relate to it in some way. And uh, if I get the green light, then I just sit down in front of a mic here in my office and uh, dictate. And uh, we've got some pretty good sound equipment here. And I live in a place where not a lot of ambient noise here, except an occasional grunt from an elk or a deer or <laughs> maybe a screech of an eagle. But uh, a voice... Uh, takes up space uh, in terms of uh, megabytes. It's best to keep them short. Yeah, well, I would. I mean, uh, um, to me, it's just like baloney. You tell me how much you want, and I slice off that much. And that's, that's... <laughs> so how many episodes did he do in the end? Because he was on number two. This episode is number 42. He's missed the last few months, I guess. So he's delivered more than 35 different stories, isn't he? Which is incredible. We ended up being like pen pals, weirdly, like we were talking about steam engines, we are talking about wildlife. Did he ever tell you about reverse Thanksgiving? Uh, it rings a bell, you have to remind me. He's just got this lovely remote remote cabin where he'd live, and for Thanksgiving, traditionally, they feed all the wild turkeys. All right. So that was what he called um, reverse Thanksgiving. The first two that sort of tamed and the boldest ones and he sent me a picture of them, his wife sort of feeding them and they're coming in the house. Uh, and so it was Larry and Jeff were the boldest two turkeys who would uh, come <laughs> right in the house. He mentioned this year that Larry and Jeff seemed to have disappeared, but only to be replaced with 11 other turkeys. So um, I think Larry and Jeff were doing well on the extra food. <laughs> wow. And he'd recently had a black bear wandering around. Ooh. So he, we were chatting about setting up nature cams and uh, the sort of hunter's traps essentially like our landers. Yeah. <laughs> he said it was no danger at all, but he was enjoying the the sort of wildlife. He really loved where he lived out there. Yeah. Obviously restored him. Wasn't that his joke about COVID when everyone was self-isolating? He said he's been self-isolating for 42 years because <laughs> he lives in such a remote place. Yeah. He's so generous with his time and so kind with people. It's uh he obviously needs a little bit of peace to recharge. Don't, don't want to be too available. One of my own favourite Don stories was something that which I think is, I may, I may have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I was just thinking about it the other day, that some point during the five deeps were, I know where it was, it was it was just before I did my dive to Serena Deep in Mariana. And there was this whole thing about we had a spare dive. And they said, do you want to go to Challenge of Deep? And I said, no, I'd rather go to Serena Deep. It's 100 metres shallower, but for scientific reasons, it's more interesting. And uh, everyone was like, are you mad? Because you could be on the league table of the deepest guys in the world. I'm like, well, but got reasons to believe this other site is better. Anyway, so I sat in my little science cupboard and uh, Don would quite often just come and stand in the doorway and just sit down and say, show me some video. <laughs> you just do just, you know, 
show what we've been filming over the last few days and so on. But this time he stood there and he starts rummaging in his pockets and he wears those like old man chinos and he's like rummaging and rummaging and rummaging. I'm like, oh my God, this is a joke. He's setting up a prank here. (laughs) What's he about? He's going to do the elephant trick. (laughs) I don't know what what he's about to pull off. And he pulls out one of the Trieste medallions and says, take this. I'm like, what the hell? It's one of these commemorative coins from the dive. And he told me it was his last one, which I, to be honest, I'm not sure I believe that. I probably tells that to everybody. But he says, that's the last one. I think you should have it. I says, but I'm not even going to challenge a deep. He says, you're the only man in the world who's been offered a dive to challenge a deep and didn't take it. So you deserve it more than anybody else. Oh, that's that sums him up. Yeah. So I've got this little Trieste coin, which is, yeah, yeah. treasure that dearly. Can we get a picture of that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll put it on the show notes. Actually, one of the things we did pull out was a nice little quote from Don on volunteering for things, volunteering for strange things and how we ended up on the Trieste in the first place. It's like the old chief petty officer, you know, I first got in the Navy. I was enlisted for two years. I was naval aviation. Uh, I was an aerial gunner and torpedo bombers. And uh, they're a pretty salty bunch because this is 1948, so three years after the war, they'd all, they'd all flown at Midway and, you know, Coral yeah. Sea and the great battles. And I was just in, still in high school. I didn't even have a driver's license, but I was a plane captain on these torpedo bombers. And uh, my first chief petty officer in the Navy, of all the ones I knew as an officer enlisted, who uh, gave me, I think we had quarters the first morning when I joined the squadron. And I was green as can be, you know, just 17 years old. And he said he wanted some people to go out to the firing range and clean up the brass. And so I put my hand up and he says, God damn it, Walsh, in this man's Navy, you never volunteer for anything. You got that? <laughs> yes, sir, chief. He says, okay, you, you, and you are volunteering. And of course he points at me uh, among the other three or four guys. And so, uh, of course I volunteered for aviation. I volunteered for submarines. I volunteered for UDT, frogmen. I volunteered for a sea lab uh, program and I volunteered for the space program. And so, uh, you know, I didn't get all of it. I got about less than half of it, but if you don't put your hand up, the answer is always no. So uh, we had about a 60-year reunion of the squadron, and of course, I would, I think I'd retired from the Navy by then as captain. And I went to the reunion, and, and he was, you know, this guy made chief in 43, and he had a circle of uh, the pilots and everything around him. They were talking about the old days. And, and so I just standing behind him very quietly, he turned around and said, you're Walsh, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, how could he remember me? It's been maybe 30 years since... He'd last seen me, and I was just a high school kid in a sailor suit, and remarkable. Uh, and I said, yeah, Chief, you know, I, I couldn't help myself. I did volunteer for things like this Trieste and submarine <laughs> service and so on, and, you know, here I am. I, that's one thing I didn't learn from you. you well, they say you don't get it if you don't ask, right? Yeah, that's right. The answer is all automatically no. So... We'll leave this one short. We were hoping for a, a fun Christmas one with uh, with lots of folk gathered around uh, sharing some stories, but of course things changed uh, quite suddenly. But we still wanted we still wanted to give Don a send off. So thank you, Don, for the time and energy that you gave us. And I feel really privileged to have gotten to know you in well in the last few years. You were surprisingly chatty over emails. You must be so horribly busy, but uh, it was good to talk about steam engines and compare family photos and family traditions. I felt like I got to know you, even though we fortunately, me and him never actually met. But uh, I know you got to spend plenty of time with him, Alan. So thanks, Don. Yeah. Well, that's all for now. And thanks for listening. You're on the ride with the